Because of the abundance of the substance of this passage, we'll read verses 10 through 14. Revelation chapter 16, starting at verse 10. Hear now the word of Almighty God, inspired by his Spirit. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and repented not of their deeds. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils, working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Thus far the reading of God's holy word from Revelation chapter 16 verses 10 through 14. Here in these verses, we have the second portion of the execution of the vials. Vial number five, vial number six. We have the judgment of the Antichrist and Armageddon prepared for. Notice here in verse 10, the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast. Now, if you'll recall... Back in the unfolding of the scroll and also in the blowing of the trumpets, did we ever have the overthrow and destruction of the beast? No, we didn't. What did we see? We saw the red dragon early on persecuting the church. Then we saw the beast grow out of the red dragon's kingdom and take his seat and his royal authority. And we saw his power grow and grow and grow till he was a beast rising up out of the abyss First, he was, remember, an angel in heaven, a star shining in God's constellation, fallen down to the earth and become wormwood. Then he becomes a polyon. Then he becomes a beast. What do we have now? Is his kingdom growing and advancing? No, we see his kingdom destroyed and brought down. Much different from the unfolding of the scroll and the seals thereof and the blowing of God's trumpets, now the vials of God's final wrath, his eschatos wrath, poured out upon the throne, literally, of the beast. Not attacking now the waters surrounding him, not intensifying the heat of the sun as in the first four vials, now we have the seat, the throne, inherited by the beast from the red dragon. God attacks directly his kingdom. Now, have you ever heard the word sea? The apostolic sea? The sea of Rome? It's not S-E-A, it's S-E-E. -E. It means the throne where one is seated. God is pouring out his wrath directly on the apostolical sea of Rome. And his kingdom was full of darkness. 
Do you remember earlier on during the trumpets when his kingdom was advancing? His kingdom already was filled with darkness, wasn't it? He had opened up the pit and what came out? Smoke came out from the abyss and the sun was darkened and his whole kingdom was full of darkness. Well, how is it going to be full of darkness now? Gill comments, not only of the darkness of false doctrine and superstition, for so it was always, being filled with the smoke of the bottomless pit, nor only of judicial blindness and darkness, which the subjects of the anti-Christian state are given up to, but rather the discovery of all this with all their hidden works of darkness, which will now be brought to light. In other words, the Antichrist wished for men to think that his darkness was light and God will expose it and everyone will see. No, this is not light. This is not truth. This is darkness. His whole kingdom is filled with it by this fifth vial. And what did the devotees of the beast do? Were they pleased with the exposure of their darkness? No. They gnawed their tongues for pain. The shroud of darkness is removed and they gnaw their tongues. And then what else do they do in their suffering, in their misery at being exposed? Do they repent? turn from their sins, confess and acknowledge that they've been violating the words of God? No. They blaspheme God in heaven. They speak against him, entrenching themselves, digging in their heels, taking on a greater anti-Christian posture, speaking against God, speaking to them from heaven. And how does God speak to us from heaven? With audible voice? No, he has a written revelation. The statutes, the judgments, the gospel, the law. He speaks and what do they say back in his face? I will not listen. I will not hear you. They blaspheme the God of heaven. And those deeds of idolatry and iniquity that they've been committing, they will not repent. The beast cannot change his spots his paws, his rapacious and ravening ways. He's drunk with the blood of saints and prophets. His followers drink the wine of this whore's fornication. Are they going to get rid of it? Of course not. They're stuck. They're done. Then comes the sixth vial, verse 12. The sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates. Now remember in chapter 9, verse 4, we had the four angels not coming down from God above, not coming from the abyss beneath, coming out of the river Euphrates, the eastern Antichrist, the Mohammedan kingdom. But as the ancient Euphrates provided protection to the city of Babylon, so the new Babylon will have protections as well. And now the protections of New Babylon, what's happening to them? The scorching sun we read about in the earlier vials, what's happening to that river? Drying up. Now the kings of the east, very likely some believe the Jews themselves, now converted to the faith of Christ, 
are prepared to attack the man of sin in his stronghold. The kings of the east have their way prepared in preparation for the conversion of the Jews God dries up the errors and idolatry of the man of sin, exposes his darkness. And how does Rome respond? How does New Babylon respond to these troublous times? Now, Old Babylon, when it fell, Jeremiah chapter 50, verse 38, describes what happens. You know what he says happened? Their river dried up. And men came and sacked Old Babylon. So the apostle draws from that history of Jeremiah 50, verse 38. There's going to be another drought upon the waters of mystic Babylon, of spiritual Sodom and Egypt. She shall fall just as old Babylon did. The beast's throne then is abolished in the fifth vial. He prepares a defensive warfare with miracles, signs, and lying wonders, raising up a civil defense against the war against God himself. He will not submit to God. He will fight against God, and he will raise up kings of the earth to fight with him. Notice verse 13. After his river is dried up, after his seat has been destroyed, now he has miracles. Frogs leaping forth, croaking, you might say. Unclean spirits. The dragon has one, the beast has one, and the false prophet has one. Now it's important to understand that when the Bible describes these various creatures as having frogs leaping forth, the spirits of devils coming forth, it's not necessarily talking about three distinct entities. Let me ask you, in the book of Revelation, who is the lamb that stands on Mount Zion? Is he the same as the angel who offers incense? Yes, he is. Is he the white horse rider going forth, conquering and to conquer the word of God? Yes, he is. Is he the one who tramples upon the grapes and causes their blood to go forth? Yes, he is. Is he the angel who says, reap now the harvest of God? Yes, he is. He is all of those. Is the dragon someone different from the beast? And is the beast different from the false prophet? No. It's the same power pictured in different ways. So far as he is the heir of the satanic kingdom of ancient pagan Rome, he is a dragon. So far as he is the final kingdom and rising up out of the sea and the earth, he is the beast. So far as he presumes to teach the whole church of God with his errors, he is a false prophet. He is all of these, and he is more, as we will find out in chapter 17, God willing, next week. These expedients of these frogs leaping forth are a way to say, I'm not giving up without a fight. I will not submit to the kingdom of God, nor of the judgments of God by which he has judged my throne in Babylon. The seat of the beast has been destroyed. The wrath has been poured out, and yet now he fights for his life. The Westminster Annotations believe that these 
frogs might represent the Jesuits, or some stirring sect worse than the Jesuits, arising after Rome's and the Antichrist's fall. Out of the mouth again of dragon, of beast, and of false prophet come forth these unclean spirits. They are the spirits of devils working miracles. Second Thessalonians 2 tells us that the man of sin will do what? Lying wonders. Deceiving and being deceived. Doing things like making an image have life and speak or cry or reveal things. Oh, the great virgin of Guadalupe, this, the statue started talking to us and revealing things to us. And so we offered up incense to the statue of the Virgin Mary. You know that's happened, don't you? There are stories the world over in the kingdom of Antichrist of miracles and lying wonders. To teach men the truth? No. To divert their attention away from the truth so that they might believe lies, so that they might be damned who do not receive the love of the truth, as the apostle says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. The spirits of devils working miracles, they go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world. Not merely the place of Rome's citadel of power that is called the earth here, but also the whole world over. Every place where he can get a grasp, he goes and finds his adversaries to, against the kingdom of Christ to fight against Jesus. That's what he's doing. But notice, his seat is no more. Babylon is fallen. He must do something, but notice what it says at the end of verse 14. Will he win this fight? Will this day, this battle go his way? No. The battle of that great day of God Almighty. Pantocrator is the Greek word, the all-powerful one. You think you can beat him? You think you can overcome him? You think that by gathering up all the rabble, your kingdom and your throne destroyed, that you can overthrow God? It's ridiculous. It's insane. They want to stop the effect of the plagues. What is the effect of the plagues but the ruin of Rome? The destroying of the throne of the man of sin, which he inherited from the red dragon, sitting upon the seven hills of Rome, the new mystic Babylon, it will not win. It will be overthrown. The plague in John's revelation has already been unleashed, but they want an anti-Christian glory to exalt in the temple of God, speaking blasphemous words against God himself. Now it's interesting to gather them, it says, unto that great day of God Almighty. The spirits of devils go forth to gather them. But as we shall see, as we go through the exposition of the other portions of chapter 16 and then into chapter 17, God also sends lying spirits among them. 
Do you remember when Ahab was seduced, the anti-Christian king? God sent forth lying spirits, blinding their minds so that they would say, yeah, let's go fight. We're going to lose. Yeah, let's go fight anyways. Because the false prophet said, we're going to have the victory. 1 Kings 22. The great day of God Almighty, they cannot overcome. Their lawlessness, their authority in the man of sin, the beast and his mark, the blood of prophets, saints, and the two witnesses measured by king's rule, they shall not overcome. Their power is coming to an end. Let us pray as we have been taught whose kingdom to come. Wormwood, the man of sin, the Antichrist, the red dragon's heir apparent. Is that whose kingdom we want to come? No. Thine is the kingdom. Thy kingdom come. The kingdom of Jesus, the true Messiah, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the great high priest, there is none other. The great prophet speaking through his holy apostles, there is no more. That great king who rules and gives laws to his church, who though she was driven into the wilderness and persecuted by the beast, yet she shall have the victory in the end. And thus far the exposition of Revelation chapter 16.